I don't typically preach about mothers on Mother's Day or fathers on Father's Day. We usually talk about parenting in general in special settings where someone can choose to go hear something about parenting, hear about fathering and mothering. We don't talk about it for a couple of reasons, really. Not all of us are fathers. And also, it can be a difficult topic for us for a variety of reasons. We approach this topic with a different set of feelings, different ones of us. Today, we're going to talk about fathering. And as you listen today, I want you to approach today in a couple of different ways. Number one, for those of you who are not fathers, this gives you an opportunity to pray for those who are. For those of you who may one day be fathers, this gives you an opportunity to kind of dial in and listen to what God says to us about the business of fathering. For those of us who have been fathers, it gives us an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. And for all of us, I think this is an illustration of the kind of relationship that we can have with our Heavenly Father, with Father God. And that's where we'll end today, tap into that relationship. But we're going to be a little bit old school today. Some of the ideas from today are taken not only from the Bible, but from a wonderful pastor and author, a guy named John Piper, dialed into John Piper because John Piper is the most Puritan of the guys, I believe, who are preaching today in America anyway. And Piper is pretty old school. So we're going to be a little bit old school in our thoughts and and even the way we express it today as we talk about fathers. And we're going to end up today, sorry for the long preface, but we're going to end up today focusing in on what I think is the right and appropriate direction for all of us, the connection that we have with, with God as our Father. If you dial out at any point, if this gets a little dry for you at any point, I'm going to arrest you at the very end and draw you back in and make sure we get that last, get the home stretch where we're talking about just the connection that we have with God as our Father. So just to prepare us for this, let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Father, we ask this morning that, first of all, good morning, Father. And thank you for drawing us into your presence, and we don't believe that any of us are here today by accident. We've come for a specific reason. And so, Lord, we pause in quiet. We want to acknowledge you, and we want to prepare ourselves for your reason. Speak to us today. Break open our chests and massage your truth into our hearts. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. I actually had two people email me this week and ask me if I was going to talk about fathers or fathering today because it's a difficult topic for them. And I told them that I was, and I think appropriately, they chose not to be here today. Because it's such an odd, really it is odd. I mean, it doesn't hit all of us. And again, it's, it can be difficult for us. Why spend a Sunday morning talking about fathers? Because we don't typically. Let me tell you why. I'm going to flash some statistics at you, and you can, reams of this, you can just Google this, and you can get tons of this. But according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Bureau of Census, 63% of teen suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all runaways and homeless children are from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers were raised without a father. According to volume 14 of the magazine Criminal Justice and Behavior, 80% of people who commit rape come from fatherless homes. According to a report by the National Principals Association, 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 
According to the U.S. Department of Justice, 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. And according to the U.S. Department of Justice, daughters of single parents raised without a father involved are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers. 711%, that's right, 711% more likely to have children as teenagers. 164% more likely to have a premarital birth and 92% more likely to get divorced. And yet, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Bureau of Census, 43% of U.S. children live without their father. Epidemic. And it has devastating consequences. So today let's talk about fathers, and for one verse, I want you to go old school. There's a section in Colossians and actually in the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, two little books in the New Testament, where Paul addresses, under God's direction, kind of rules for the Christian household. And he says something about fathers in both of those places, and we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3.21. And out of reverence for God's word, would you stand with me? Colossians 3.21, you don't even need to look, it's going to be one verse, although we'll be looking at a couple of other quick places in Colossians, so if you want to dial there, if you know where it is, it's one of those little books at the back of the New Testament. But Colossians 3.21, I want you to hear this, and then we're going to just meditate on this for a few minutes this morning. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. You may be seated. Okay, so this instruction involves a command, fathers don't embitter your children, and it involves a purpose, or they will become discouraged. All right, so let's begin by looking at the back end of that. The purpose of a good father is to rear children who are not discouraged. One commentator described this word discouraged this way, quote, the word discouraged implies losing heart, being listless, spiritless, disinterested, moody, sullen, with a kind of blank resignation toward life, end quote. Don't be the kind of father who raises that kind of person. Instead, we must develop a style of fathering that produces the opposite of discouragement. So what is the opposite of discouragement? I think we can sum it up in three characteristics. The opposite of being discouraged is being hopeful. The opposite of being discouraged is being engaged. And the opposite of being discouraged is having the ability to to approach life with courage. So fathers, we need to be the kind of parent that promotes hopefulness, engagement, and courage. Dads, we need to recognize the signs of resignation and lack of courage and disinterest and spiritlessness. And we need to pray into and speak into those conditions. We need to establish and nurture the kind of relational atmosphere in our homes that build hope and engagement and courage. Now, I doubt we could find anyone anywhere who would disagree with that. In other words, by saying what we've said, we haven't said anything distinctly Christian so far this morning. It's just good common sense. There isn't a parent anywhere in the world who would make it their aim to promote discouragement and disengagement. The thing that makes Paul's advice different, of course, is the larger context, which gives us the source and the goal of his advice. The source and the goal of his advice. The source and goal toward which we point our children distinguishes our parenting from just good common sense. The source of it, the source of the hope, the source of the engagement, and the goal toward which it points. 
All the way back in verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2. So in this same letter, chapter earlier, verse 6, Paul says this, listen. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So on top of that foundation... The entire Christian ethic is built. How we're supposed to live, and Paul does that in his letter. The whole way we're supposed to live is stacked on top of living in Christ, being rooted in Christ, built up in Him, drawing our strength from Him. That's the foundation on top of which all of our living and our decisions is laid. That's why in the exact same context in another letter, as I said, in Ephesians, He's talking rules for Christian living. You know, he's written the Ephesians, a a similar section that he's written the Colossians. And he he gets to this exact same point, but instead of giving the purpose, don't let them be discouraged, he gives them the how-to. He says in Ephesians, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord, because this is the source of living with hope and engagement and courage that we lay down as Christian fathers. We are the kind of fathers who reject the notion that hope and courage are built on top of success or money or popularity or education or on a spouse and a happy marriage or on top of anything other than living in Christ and being rooted in Him and drawing our strength from Him. If you had asked Paul or Jesus, What kind of freedom from discouragement do you want our children to have? He would not have said, I want your children to be free from discouragement by being filled with hope that they will become wealthy, or well-known, or successful, or married. We know too well that these things provide unreliable hope, and they're often no help at all with courage. So the first thing that distinguishes Paul's advice is the source of the encouragement and the hope that we're promoting. It's living in Him, being rooted in Him, built on top of Him. The second thing that distinguishes Paul's advice is the ultimate goal of his instruction. The goal toward which Christian fathers point their children is the life we have in God. That's the goal, the life we have in God. That's the goal of Christian fathering. We point our children toward the life we have in God. At the beginning of chapter 3 in this same book, Colossians, Paul says it this way, quote, Since you've been raised with Christ, and he's gone through an elaborate explanation of what he means by that. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Listen to this, for you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So the goal of of Christian fathering is to point our children toward the life we have in God. Listen, there's a form of happiness that doesn't give life. It doesn't even give long-term happiness. In some cases, it actually produces a kind of death. I think, for example, of the listless, discouraged daughter who gives herself to guy after guy far too easily and far too completely. She's looking for love in all the wrong places and and the ultimate fruit for her in all this effort is often depression and a deep loneliness. 
There are fleeting moments when she feels happy, but in the end, it's the kind of happiness that produces death. That's why to some kinds of happiness, the Scripture actually says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to dejection. Because you're pursuing a, a laughter and a joy that ends up in death. There's a kind of happiness that has nothing to do with the life of God and therefore has no value in producing real and lasting hope or engagement or courage. We're the kind of fathers who do not make this kind of happiness our goal and we train our children not to do the same. Andrew Bonner, few of you may have heard that name before, he was a 19th century Scottish pastor. And he offered teaching in a variety of settings about raising children that was profoundly influential in his day bonner said this let me quote we tell them we tell our children we tell them you are sinners <laughs> our cute little innocent children this is bonner says we tell them you are sinners and you cannot save yourselves but god's own son can save you by himself bearing all that separates you from god in other words, we're the kind of fathers who teach our children to draw their strength from Christ and, and not from themselves. To build their lives on Christ and to learn how to literally live in Him. And we teach them to forego fleeting happinesses, but to pursue God-honoring, life-giving hope by making our goal the life we have in God. A good father will think about this. How can I be like my own heavenly father? How can I banish self-reliance from the heart of my children and myself and fill them with hope and courage and give them the kind of heart that will be fully engaged in their own lives? How can I demonstrate making Jesus the source of my strength? And how can I live out the fruit of the life of God in my life in such a way that it becomes compelling to my children? Because I know if I can do that, I will save them from spiritless, sullen living. If I can do that, I know they will not be withdrawn or afraid. I know they will not be discouraged. The immediate context for this teaching, as I said, is sometimes called rules for Christian households. It begins by addressing husbands and wives, and, and then in the next couple of verses, it talks about children and then the father verse. I want to read you those two verses, the children verse and the father verse. Verse 20 and 21 of Colossians 3 say this, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. That's what's up, Graham and Jordan. <laughs> Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. So there's a balancing act. We are to help our children learn obedience. We are to discipline them. God has given us authority over our children. I used to tell my boys when they were young, boys, you have to learn to obey your mom and me. Otherwise, when you get older, you won't be able to obey yourself, and you'll never be able to obey God. I usually said this when I was about to punish them, so they never listened, but I said it anyway. But lessons in obedience, lessons in obedience have to be balanced with our concerted effort not to embitter our children. The word embitter here is an interesting one. This word in the original, and the Bible is originally written in Greek, and in the original, this word can be used almost exactly the opposite thing depending on the context. So, for example, there's a verse in the Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2. Paul uses the same word to say that the actions of one group of people had motivated, that's our word, 
or stirred up another group of people to generosity. Same word. So the general idea is to motivate. Obviously, in this case, the motivation is very positive, and this is the general meaning of the word. That's why some translators render this, fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't motivate them in the wrong direction or in the wrong way. Don't inspire them toward bitterness or sullenness or resignation or they will become discouraged. So, how do we do this as fathers? How do we inspire our children in the wrong direction? How do we ruin the confidence of our children? I like Piper's specific observations here. He says two things about this. He offers two surefire ways to embitter your children. First, according to Piper, quote, some fathers fail to be happy and hopeful and confident in God. Fathers, what you are in relation to God is far more important than any particular parenting technique you try to employ. Will your children hope in God if you hope in money? Will your children be happy in God if they see that fishing is a happier experience for you than worship? End quote. Ouch. If Piper is right, and certainly he is, then the most important work that a father can do for the sake of his children is to be the kind of person who finds his life in God. If that's not who we are, then we run the risk of embittering our children. The most important child-rearing strategy is for us to be a man whose foundation is Christ. Then Piper adds this. The second thing that fathers do which provokes children to long-term discouragement and hopelessness is to discipline them in an impulsive, erratic, and inconsistent way. Unpredictable, impulsive, hostile discipline makes children fearful, bitter, deceitful, discouraged. They don't know where or why the explosion will come next. End quote. I know some of you know the damage done by this kind of discipline from your own childhood. When we're formed under erratic and inconsistent discipline, we end up saying to ourselves, what's the use? How can I hope being good is any better than being bad? And so the spirit of moral hope is broken, and in its place comes calculated, deceitful, discouraged maneuvering. Instead, we are the kind of people who discipline with the idea of building hope and courage and engagement in mind. Our discipline is consistent and based on clear rules of justice and mercy. At least that's our hope and prayer because we don't want to embitter our children. We want to enliven them and encourage them. As I said at the beginning today, I usually don't preach about fathering. It's a difficult topic for many of us. We may feel guilty about our own inadequacies as a father, some of us, and or we may have experienced significant embittering at the hands of our Father. And so this is a burdensome and painful topic, or it can be. So here's what we need to remember today. No matter what kind of fathering we got from our earthly father, and none of us got perfect fathering. No matter what kind of fathering we got from our earthly father, we have access to perfect fathering from our heavenly father. That means we have the ability to be the kind of people who are the product of perfect fathering. We have the ability to be the kind of people who live out loud, emboldened, fully engaged, fully alive. 
We have the ability to be the kind of people who are the product of perfect fathering. We can be courageous and hopeful and fully engaged people. We can be people who live boldly and with confidence, who embrace our own lives even at struggles and who prevail. We can be these people because we have this kind of father. In the model prayer, some of you know, Jesus actually taught his disciples and us, his first disciples and us, how to pray. They asked him, how should we pray? And he gave us a model. And in that model, Jesus showed what a spiritual revolutionary was. He taught us to pray to God, our Father in heaven. Those of us who have decided to follow Christ, we are encouraged to pray by saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, follow me here. In the same sermon where he introduced the prayer idea, he goes on at a later point. Jesus offered up this provocative illustration. Don't miss this. He said, which of you, follow his line here, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or, if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now that's really profound. (laughs) There are a few really important ideas to notice that roll out of Jesus' illustration here. First of all, I want you to notice that he asks the audience to think like a parent. And as a parent, almost universally, we mean well. Or at the very least, we really mean to mean well. You see, if he had asked them to think like children, then there might have been many who would have felt like they asked their earthly father for fish and got a snake. This was not too dissimilar from the experience some of us had with our fathers. Or some of you, you may have asked for bread and you were given a lecture on how to make bread for yourself and then go mind your own business. Or maybe you asked for bread and you were yelled at for reasons you couldn't explain, and then you were later you were given candy and a big hug, which honestly confused you, and while the candy tasted good, it didn't satisfy your hunger. But no father means to act this way. We mean to give bread when bread is needed. We mean to give a fish when a fish is asked for. We intend to do good, but we are evil. But there's one who isn't. There's one who always does good, who always gives bread when bread is needed. There's one who will not let us stay up past our bedtime, regardless of how we ask, because he knows it's not good for us, but he's always patient with us. He suffers our whining and crying without anger, without losing patience, even for a moment. He will not give us candy when we are disappointed. He knows this is a temporary fix, and it will not build courage and endurance. He will instead hold us and listen to us and encourage us to pursue the most noble path forward always. There is one. He will discourage and even discipline every attempt on our part to be our lesser selves. He will not countenance our desire to settle for quick and easy happiness at the expense of something more rich and more true. But he will always push us and enable us to be who we were designed to be, our greater ourselves and he will always help us find our life in him this is the kind of father we have we have this kind of father 
Because Christ has made Him known and has given us access to Him. The sadness that many of us may feel at never having had a father like the father I described today, and the sadness others of us may feel at never having been a father like the father I described today, that sadness can be swallowed up and overcome with joy this morning because God offered His fatherhood to anyone who will accept the gift of adoption by trusting and yielding to be led by the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as you and I surrendering ourselves to Him and saying, yes, yes. And we then get to be becoming the kind of people who live with hope and courage and full engagement. And if you're anything like me, that's the kind of person you want to be. Let's pray for a minute. Look, as we pray this morning, I don't know if there's anyone here today who has never decided to fully trust Christ with your life. That you haven't yet begun the process. Not really. You might believe in Him, but you've not really begun the process of learning how to live in Him. Be rooted in Him and built on Him. And if there's anyone here this morning who's never made that decision, you can make that decision today. And you have access to the Heavenly Father as your Father. And there are others of us this morning who are acutely aware that we have been pursuing other happinesses. We know that they end (laughs) in a happiness that's not happiness. And yet, somehow we buy the lie for a week or a day or a moment because we just need to feel better or we need some relief. And this morning you are invited once again into the arms of your patient, loving, heavenly Father to say, Dad, I'm sorry. There are those of us this morning who struggle with the loss of our Father. There are those of us who struggle this morning with the inadequacy of our earthly Father. There are those of us who feel some guilt about the inadequacy of our own fathering. And that too rests securely in the hands of our Heavenly Father. Father, you give us joy and you are our hope. You build in us confidence and the ability to engage our our lives, to step in and step up. And you give us courage, you embolden us. You told us, Jesus, that If we asked, you would respond. If we sought, you would be found. And so this morning we ask and we seek. We ask for hope. We ask for courage. We ask for engagement. Dear God, we ask it for our children. Lord, I pray uh, now, especially for anyone here for whom the, the topic of Father and fathering is a difficult one. And I pray that that sadness could be swallowed up and overcome with the joy of calling you Father, trusting in you, leaning in you, the perfectly reliable one. Father, I also pray for those among us who still have before them some or much of the task of fathering. I pray that you would strengthen 
us and fill us and inspire us to be what our children need in order to find their life in you and to have hope and courage and to be engaged. And uh, Lord Jesus, we pray this morning as you taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.